Well, good morning, Greenwich. Today is Tuesday. It is July 28th, and I want to thank you again for taking a few moments out of your uh, full and busy day to give attention to God's Word, a morning psalm, and then uh, a reflection, a theological reflection. And pray that uh, this time will be uh, beneficial to you, developing your faith, your hope, and your love. Let's dive into the morning psalm. I think this will, <clears throat> parts of this will have some familiar, uh, familiar ring to it. And we read this along the way uh, within the Christian year. Psalm 118. <clears throat> Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and He answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies." It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord... I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's Psalm 118. And so besides our memory verse that we often say in church, give thanks to the Lord for he is good as love endures forever, some of this I think will sound familiar 
it, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so that's a pretty familiar line. Um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where it says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. That's Hosanna. And so some Bibles translated Hosanna. Here it's, O Lord, save us and grant us success. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. That gets picked up in the New Testament, speaking prophetically of what happened. The, the builders, that is the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, rejected Jesus. And so that stone becomes foundational. That becomes essential to the work of, of God. And so Psalm 118 is, a, is an important psalm in the history of salvation. It ends up becoming prophetic and fulfilled. Um, there's some repetition to it, and so this is likely uh, one of those psalms that, well, all of the psalms would have been sung or chanted by the people, but this one um, did come to be uh, connected to Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Messiah uh, came to be known by the phrase of the coming one. So when John the Baptist, um, it, from prison... Uh, send some of his followers to go ask Jesus or Jesus' followers, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And so he's using that designation, the coming one. And so Psalm 118, uh, I think, is an important psalm and a good psalm. Um, and uh, I hope you make it your own. It becomes a friend for you. Okay, Theology 203. This is our third... Uh, theology set of uh, reflections on salvation. And so, two weeks ago, salvation, what it is and isn't. Last week, the cross. And then I introduced yesterday this idea of living the saved life. Okay, we have been saved at the cross. That's justification. We've been made right with God. We are being saved. In the present, every Christian is called to of transformed life, to be sanctified, to be made a saint, to be made, it's the restoration process, not just getting right with the law legally as it were, but then having that work into our lives so that our daily interactions, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, our behavior, all about us are being restored away from the fall, away from the sin, the autonomy, the, the wanting to do things our own way, um, the sense of alienation and estrangement that we have from God and from one another, the sense of avoiding responsibility, hiding in the bushes, blaming and pointing the finger, those realities that have marked our lives, that do mark our lives because of uh, the nature of sin, that God wants to heal that. He wants to restore us. He's rescuing us from those enemies. To be autonomous, to be a law unto ourselves is not a good thing, it's a bad thing. To, to experience life with a sense of alienation and estrangement and, and, and a and broken relationship is not a good thing. To avoid responsibility and blame others and cover up is not a good thing. And so God wants to heal all that. That sanctification process is, is underway. The Spirit has given and so He's making us, uh, uh, He's remaking us as it were. And so what I'm suggesting is this cross-shaped life 
it's, it's the notion of embracing the, the wondrous cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, it's embracing the wondrous old rugged cross for daily living, not just for salvation. Yes, do that. We, we, you know, we trust the death of Jesus Christ as the innocent substitute for our sins. He takes our guilt. We receive his righteousness. Yes, let's do that. But it's more to embrace the old rugged cross and, and survey and embrace the wondrous cross is more than something that just happened back there so that I get my salvation ticket. It is to place the cross in front of us every day so that so that it shapes our life. So it's more than simply the means by which forgi God forgives our sins. It is that. But the cross is a pattern that shapes or informs our every interaction every day. That we live a cruciform life. A cross-shaped life. And I suggested yesterday there's some elements to that. And so one of those elements I'd like to talk about today. So I said it's the suppression or denial of self-interest. So that's that autonomy thing, right? We become a law unto ourselves. We take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We, we determine to ourselves what good and evil is. And so all of a sudden we place ourselves at the center because we're always going to excuse ourselves. So we, we become a law unto ourselves. And so we determine what's right and wrong. And then we look at others judgmentally. But that sense of autonomy places self in the center and we think the world revolves around us and that's why we get offended or insulted or frustrated when things don't go our way and so the call to pick up our cross and follow him and deny ourselves is central to the life of discipleship to be a follower of Jesus then is to deny oneself it's, and it's denying that autonomous self that I I think I've got life all figured out for myself. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, it speaks to this, okay? Now, the context for the letter to the Philippians, a couple things going on. There's some false teaching that's underway, people teaching that you have to obey all the law of Moses. So, it's all the old covenant plus Jesus, as opposed to, no, it's Jesus that fulfills the old covenant and then so those old covenantal restrictions um, are, are laid aside and now we follow Jesus. And so there, there was that wrestling through some of those teachings, but also there was infighting. There was some church conflict. A couple folks, a couple women who were loyal servants of the Lord, but they were at odds with each other and it was disrupting the church family there in, in Philippi. And so... Um, kind of, you know, some were taking uh, Euodia's side, some were taking Syntyche's side. And so, and you can imagine, we've all been in a situation where there's been some bickering and some arguing in the family or a church family or some other organization, and people kind of line up on, on a, either side. So, so it's kind of sitting in the backdrop, okay, that does get addressed later in, in the letter. <clears throat> and so the language here and I'm going to read it in just a moment, is look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We will always look to our own interests. We can't not do that. And so, so we properly feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and care for ourselves. It's don't only do that, 
take care of your needs, get, get things taken care of, but then give your attention uh, and, and look out for the interest of others, which I think is part of what can heal some of the infighting. So let me go ahead and, and read. I'll read an extended section from, from chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm going to start at the beginning, uh, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Not easy for autonomous sinners, right? <laughs> so in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So if you're going to follow him, your attitude, your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then there is what follows, if you read it in your Bible, beginning verse 6, what's believed to be an early Christian hymn of praise to Jesus Christ. So your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so that's that hymn. You can kind of hear that language. And so, Paul starts out this section of the letter. If you've got any comfort, any tenderness, any, any good that has come out of being joined to Christ, well, of course, it's, it's a rhetorical way of, of getting into it. Of course there is. Being joined to Jesus, being part of this community is nothing but comfort and hope and life. So if this is true, then be like-minded. Have the same heart. Have the same kind of love. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Consider others better than yourselves. That's, that's the sanctifying work. That's the point. That's where the cross starts to shape our daily life because we tend to consider ourselves better than others. That's that's the curse. That's what tumbles to us uh, from our, from our uh, spiritual forebears, as it were. That's the, the, the sin nature that we think of ourselves as better than others. Have the same mindset, the same attitude of Christ Jesus. And then he describes, using the words of this hymn, what the attitude or mindset or how, what it is that Jesus is like. He, though he was God, <laughs> he did not grasp after equality with God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I firmly believe that there's an echo of the temptation in the garden, Genesis 3. Adam 
was in the likeness of God. He was made in the image of God. And then he grasped after, I want equality, I want to be as a God, I want to be God myself. And so grasping after that equality with God. And so Jesus, the second Adam, didn't do that. He refused, though in, in very nature God, though he was God or is God, did not grasp after it. Ah, significant, okay? So I think there's an echo of, of the garden. And then uh, one translation says he emptied himself. I kind of like that language. So here it says, in our, our version, made himself nothing. Uh, the, the, the Greek word is kenosis. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. And so this is the picture of what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his life. He emptied himself. And so rather than to protect and hold on to his life, he offered his life. He emptied, poured himself out on behalf of others. And so this becomes part of the cruciform life, the cross-shaped life for the disciple. We don't grasp after equality with God. We, we let go of that. We live open-handed. We empty ourselves. We pour ourselves out on behalf of others. We, we then they took the form of a servant. We, we come to serve. Jesus came to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. And then he humbled himself unto obedience to death, even death on a cross. And so there it shows up. Okay, And so <clears throat> in this a hymn to Christ that is commended to us, your attitude, the, the apostle says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So in the context of infighting, in the context of our daily lives, in the context of every responsibility that we have, we wake into the new day. How may I serve you today, Lord? How may I serve the neighbors that you bring in front of me? Many of whom are in our home, in our closest relationships, folks we interact with day to day. And sometimes those become difficult folks to serve because we're so familiar and we kind of, you know, write people off. Oh, that's, you know, good old so-and-so. <clears throat> and so, but these are the neighbors God gives us to serve each day, to practice this life of pouring ourselves out, of emptying ourselves, of looking to the interests of others. Because that's what heals that autonomous, self-interested, selfish ambition, self-conceited, self-oriented life. And so God places neighbors in our lives, and by neighbors I mean other individuals, other humans. Usually it's family member, co-workers, uh, neighbors that live around you, folks in the church family, folks you might serve on some committee or some volunteer uh, group in, in the community. Uh, sometimes it's the stranger who cuts you off in traffic or uh, butts in line, you know, at the store. Everybody we come across is a neighbor, is an opportunity for us to practice this. And, and as we do, we have to die to self. <laughs> because we will find ourselves, hey buddy, I was here first. You know, folks, this is, I'm speaking to because it, it, it's one that particularly aggravates me. <laughs> you know, when people don't let me in in traffic, you know, there's a merge thing and Look, dude, just let me in. I'm not trying to cut you off. I just need, you know, the, the lane is running out. 
you know, things like that is going on in my head. And I'm going, okay, that's an opportunity for me. Just let the other guy go first, and I can just, you know, those little interactions of, of just serving others, of letting others go in the home, in, in other settings. And so God really wants to heal this. And so this very explicit language, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If you're going to follow him, then your attitude should be like him. And here's how Jesus lived. He didn't grasp. He didn't try to be a God. He didn't try to um, be, have it all be about him, have his own way. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's that's the that's what needs that's the attitude that needs to come into our lives. A, a not my will, but thy will. And sometimes, thy will is the will of another person. You might want something to happen, but you defer to others. And so that's what was going to heal the infighting in the Philippian church. It's what will heal our infighting when we give greater consideration to the needs, the interests, uh, the lives uh, of, of others. The letter itself, I, I commend the, whole, the, the letter of the, to the Philippians. It's just four chapters, so it's really not long. You can read it in the time you would read the front page or the editorial page, if you still read a newspaper. Um, you can read the, the letter to the Philippian church. And this theme of suffering and the cross is actually woven throughout the letter. Paul in the first chapter says, it has been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus, but also to, also to suffer for him. What a So the, the language of grant is it's a gift. So not only is the gift to you that you are, are the, the gift of God is that you've come to have faith in Jesus, but you also get to suffer for him. And so Paul, writing from prison, I forgot to mention that, the context, he's writing from prison. And people are talking him down, and because um, he, they think he's trying to make uh, following God too easy, and so there are some others who are maybe jealous of Paul's popularity. Oh, he's making it too easy. He's saying you don't have to uh, obey all the law of Moses. And so this is part of this theological controversy. So... He finds himself in prison. Uh, he's, he's being run, his reputation's being run down. And so they're preaching Jesus out of other motives. And he says, I don't care. <laughs> I just rejoice that Jesus is being preached. And then he thinks he might actually die, you know, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And so, so he's contemplating his own mortality. And then he writes out that you have been granted not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for him. So again, this language of suffering in the cross, and then this chapter, uh, and then he talks about his own life uh, being poured out like a drink offering uh, uh, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, and so he recognizes that his life might be, he might be like a sacrificial offering, okay, calling to mind some of those Old Testament sacrifices. And then he writes about those who make themselves enemies of the cross. And then he talks about pressing on for the upward call of Christ Jesus. I hope to be found uh, in him to, to share the fellowship of his sufferings that I may also share in the fellowship of his resurrection. And, and so this, the language of this letter 
is, is framed by the cross, by the nature of the Christian life. We follow a crucified and risen Savior, so he calls us into a life that is shaped accordingly. And at the heart of it then, we have to deny our own self-interest. And so I wonder, I, I was wondering, it, do we not recognize this cross-shaped, cruciform life um, as, as the normal Christian life, you know, denying self-interest, not seeking retaliation, etc. Do we fail to see it because we're so familiar with the story we kind of forget it? Or is it that we're unfamiliar with the scriptures? We just maybe haven't read the letter to the Philippians. We haven't read some of these passages. Maybe we, we've lost the forest for the trees, right? We, we know a few Bible stories that we were taught in youth and childhood, we haven't read the Bible that much, and so we just know we're supposed to believe in Jesus and his death is meaningful to us and we celebrate Easter and we live, you know. And so it might be that we're so familiar with the story we've kind of lost sight of it or that we're unfamiliar with the scriptures. And so I, I don't know which it is. I'd be curious to hear some of your, your thoughts on that. Okay, so let's end the reflection there. And so today is about following Jesus out of self-interest towards the interest of others and uh, allow his cross and the way he uh, went to the cross to shape our own lives. So let's take a moment to pray. <clears throat> Father, be pleased through your spirit to shape our attitudes, our mindset, our lives into that of Christ Jesus. We thank you for the instruction we receive here in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, writing from prison in a time of suffering in his own life for the gospel. He bids the church in Philippi and us, by extension, to look not only to our own interests, but to the interest of others. And so, embed within us more deeply by the power of your spirit and your holy word, this attitude, this mindset of Jesus, Forgive us when we grasp after equality with you. We want to, to live as our own gods. And so again, we repent, we turn um, back to you. We thank you for the cross of Jesus and help it ever to be before us to remind us of our need for the Savior, but also of our need to live that kind of life. And so this day, give us opportunities to serve our neighbors to look after the interests of others and help us to do that in the power of your spirit and to do it joyfully. Lord, we pray uh, your comfort and hope and strength upon those who grieve and mourn this day. We pray your healing and comfort and restoration and body, mind, and spirit to those who are ill and in need. And Father, we pray protection for those who go forth to protect and serve and defend us in our communities and to serve in the health and healing art communities. Lord, in this time of pandemic, in this time of social unrest, make us to shine as stars. Make us to live as those who do so without grumbling and complaining, but to give ourselves gladly as servants to our neighbors. And so watch over the Greenwich family, our sister churches in this community, and our mission partners here and to the ends of the world. Father, we bless you and thank you in Jesus' name who taught us to pray together, saying, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the God who sent his Son to show us the way to life, to open that path and to show us what, what it looks like to serve others, may that God bless you and keep you this day and forevermore. Amen.